Hey gang, welcome to episode 258 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nilsson, coming to you from the NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, one of our patented TeamSpeak episodes, we have writer Laura Hess joining us from Los Angeles. On the East Coast, we have New York curator Blake Weil, and back in Los Angeles, Executive Editor Catherine Yu will be joining me to talk about all the, well not all, but uh, some of the things we've been seeing and watching and experiencing uh, over the course of uh, the endless pandemic. Uh, gonna give you our notes on some stuff. Uh, there'll be there'll be notes on what's working, notes on what's not. Uh, it's a free-flowing, you know, conversation uh, and uh, no need to bracket it too much. Uh, before we jump into it, a uh, couple of bits of housekeeping. First off, I want to say hello to our latest backers. Those would be uh, Hazel Aniki, Rory Coleman Mitchell, and a backer who shall be known as the Floof is All Right. Hi. <laughs> um, I, I know who it is, actually. They changed their name at a certain point. I'm like, this is great. Uh, so. Uh, glad to have you all on board. We stand at 336 backers at the moment. We're just 14 away from our next big milestone, which is 350 backers. And uh, we're ages away from a milestone of being uh, perfectly self-sufficient. But uh, we'll get there slowly but surely one day. Um, I'll have some notes on the back end of the show. Just a, a, a quick few ones. Uh, this could be a pretty tight opening here. Uh, just, just wanted to say... We may or may not have a show next week. Um, I'll explain probably why on the back end, uh, if you really want to know. Uh, just uh, the schedule on my end is a little uncertain, uh, things that I really don't control. But I'm going to book some stuff and we'll see. And if we can, I know exactly who I want to have on the show next week. But if we can't, then we can't. Uh, we'll also hopefully be moving towards, uh, making some announcements either next week or the week after, uh, keep your eye on the websites for that and the newsletters. Uh, and yes, the, uh, the, the indoor kids newsletter newsletter is going out today, Friday, July 24th. Uh, again, uh, I'll, I'll do some uh, deeper program notes on the back end. Uh, it's, it's, it's not fun stuff. So if you don't want to stick around for it, uh, please uh, go, go about your day. Uh, enjoy, enjoy your lives. All right, there you go. Um, this is going to be about an hour and a half, I think. And, uh, you know, it's no proscenium. It goes all over the place. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you on the, on the backside. All right, here we go. Oh, wait. One more thing. <laughs> Our sustaining backers are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mistry, Sydney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany and Elaine, thank you all. You can join them at patreon.com slash no proscenium and uh, brighten our, our brighten our lives by doing so. Thank you. All right, now here's the show. Yeah, let's just uh, let's get into it. 
All right, as I mentioned in the soft open of the show, this is a TeamSpeak episode. I probably did the roll call, but because there's going to be four of us talking, it's probably a good idea to have everyone identify their voices. So we're going to start with NoPro's executive editor. Hello, this is Catherine Yu. And then we're going to swing over to our New York curator. Hi there, everyone. This is Blake Weil. And then joining us from the NoPro LA team, one of our newest writers, and and quickly becoming one of our most pro- prolific writers. <laughs> Hi, Laura Hess. Fantastic. Um, this is this is a TeamSpeak episode, so it's going to be pretty loose. Um, I, there's the the podcasting tradition from which I descend <laughs> includes the time honored tradition of video game players talking about what you've been playing, and so that's where we're going to start. And then uh, as, as we've got something uh, prepared, which is probably going to spin out of one of the uh, conversations about one of the shows. Um, but Laura, uh, uh, putting you on the spot real quick, um, what what have you been seeing? What, what's what's the latest? Uh, what's the latest from from your neck of the woods, uh, good, bad or otherwise? Yeah, so I've done a couple of things that have different there's a range of formats. Um, just last night, I did The Quiet, which is actually part one of The Quiet. There will be a part two coming. And this is by Risa Puno and Avi Dobkin. And um, would you like me to go into detail or should I just give you like kind of the rundown and then we can do a deeper dive? Why don't, why don't, why don't we, um, no, let's, 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 uh, let's, Dive, let's dive in. Um, dive, dive now. In as, we, as we take them, yeah. Dive, dive now, because Risa's Risa. For those who don't know, uh, did the privilege of escape. Uh, Catherine, you've interviewed and, and written about Risa's work in the past, correct? And I got to go to that exhibit. Um, that was her first escape room. But before that, she had a long history of doing really interesting. Um, outdoor interactive art in public spaces that often had game mechanics, but they were always kind of subversive. So I'm curious to hear more about The Quiet, which, because um, from what I understand, it has more of a tabletop element, which isn't something that I think she's done too much of in the past. Right, so you're exactly right in your assessment of this. And so this was um, Onassis USA who hosted The Privilege of Escape um, facilitated the quiet. And so this was, uh, it sounds like was put together really quickly. And this was, uh, it's actually a part of Enter, which is a series of artworks all by, facilitated by Onassis USA. And these are all created at home during the pandemic. So this is a round of, uh, of grants, like out to everybody. Um, and it's, it's still, speaks to i think a lot of the problem of like our little corner of the universe is that we i had no idea they were doing that round of grants and that was stuff that probably could have been like spun out to everybody so we're still like stitching together the communications for everybody the pleasure of meeting vallejo is like the 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 lead curator kind of the head of the program uh and he was explaining it to me the other day and i was like oh wow this is this sounds fantastic yeah, and I this is the first out of that series this is the first experience that i've done and so this was created as as all of them were in response to the pandemic and it is designed so all of them are are designed for remote play or interaction and this is an it's described as an interact interactive artwork that's rooted in tabletop role-playing game mechanics 
And so you can play with a group, I think it's of up to five people, but you, you are ultimately playing one-on-one at a time. And so you're, you're working as I chose, I was a character and there's three characters from which to choose from. And then there's a narrator and the narrator is your, your game master. And uh, each character, so this is all outlined. I mean, it's beautifully designed. All the collateral and all the assets are beautifully designed. And so there's three characters and they each have special skills and special tools. And the, the game is so beautifully nuanced in how it addresses our feelings around the pandemic. Um, I, I had so much fun with the actual gameplay, which is new to me. I haven't done a lot of gaming this way. I'm not somebody who's, I've never played D&D. So, um, and you don't need to, you don't need, even though like um, Avi Dobkin is this D&D enthusiast and so knowledgeable, um, you don't have to have any prior experience or knowledge in order to play. And so you have full agency around directing your character's actions. And the combination of this, you're, you're doing this remotely, so it's via video chat, and the combination of that one-on-one gameplay with lots of agency, and it, it's incredibly powerful when it's mixed with this awesome game design that incorporates metaphors and allegory around the pandemic. But nothing is, it's all nuanced. Nothing is hitting anything over the head too hard. And um, it was, and, and so my, um, Brett Keener was my very skilled and delightful narrator. He's done this before. So you don't have no one i guess what i mean to say is anyone can download the narration guide the character guide and you can learn how to play this so you can just it's 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 not an instance thing where there are trained gms and you know set times it's it's a rule set an instruction set exactly and and so it's incredible it's great because you can do this it's very impromptu the narrator does I mean, especially if you're going to, I had such a wonderful experience because Brett is so knowledgeable around this and he's played the narrator multiple times before. So the narrator definitely needs more time to understand all the details about the experience and and in order to guide the character appropriately. But anyone can download these and and do this. There was no cost. There's no time constraints. And, um, and, And Brett had actually worked with Risa on the privilege of escape as her tech designer and puzzle consultant. And so again, he's so knowledgeable about how she designs. And so it, it really made the experience that much more wonderful for me, but I had so much fun. I just felt like a new person afterwards. It was the perfect antidote to everything that's going on. I felt, I felt completely focused and, and yet, and it was delightful, but it also allowed, it opened up that opportunity to explore those feelings and the, the processing that we're all going through as we continue to live through this incredibly chaotic and uncertain time. So it was just beautifully balanced and, and nuanced and just so much fun. Really heartening to hear that there's a piece out there that dares to dip its toe into the current moment because I think there's 
is a natural inclination and it's not like anyone should stop trying to process what's going on around us right like this the, the following words should not be construed but it's really hard to get that right um and given how even though we've been at this for a while now given how many different perspectives and sort of different costs there are depending on where in the socioeconomic chain you live um who around you is at risk whether or not you have to go to a day job um it's just such a fraught thing and i i see work where the intention might be to interrogate the moment a little bit but for whatever reason maybe because of when it was developed in quarantine or before it was developed in quarantine before being developed before quarantine or very early on it um it can just whiff it entirely <laughs> or just set you in this moment where you're like oh yeah no i just i don't want to do this right now right um i i definitely had a bit of that um i guess i'll i didn't mean to go now but i'm gonna go now um i had a bit of that with a Clax Alterian sequester, which um, which I think people should experience, um, at least from a technical standpoint, because this thing, this thing is is a it's a pod play, but it's a multimedia pod play, and in the manner that a pod play should really engage with your environment, um, you know. Generally, when I think of a pod play, I think of something like, you know, her long, dark hair, uh, where you go to Central Park, you go through a very specific space, the audio is built for being in that space, uh, or you'll have things where it's like, you know, take take this ferry or take this train, you know, ferry play, and, and, and well, what's the... What's the subway play? What is it, Catherine? Subway play. Subway uh, play. This is not a this is not a theater company. Yeah, so like they're, they're pod plays where, where it may not be you know, do this exact thing, but like, you know, you're, you're still, you're, you're being pushed oh, no, through those, space. Th those theirs yeah. are do this exact thing. They're like, okay, great. go to Times I... Square, take the end to the end of the line, then turn around. <laughs> awesome. So that's the kind of pod play I'm used to. This one, um, you know, it, it requires that you be at home and assumes you're at home and makes some bold assumptions that you're going to have a bedroom, a bathroom and a kitchen, <laughs> which, which, you know, I've lived in apartments where that's not necessarily true, uh, but you say the bathroom say, might be your kitchen if you live in New York City. They're the same room sometimes. <laughs> I've I've lived in that for a hot minute. I've lived in spaces where the living room and the kitchen. Like I lived I lived in one space so small that uh, uh, it was definitely illegal. <laughs> definitely an illegal unit uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, and luckily, and that would have been a very sad version of this because like, I'll now go to your bathroom, step, step. Okay, I'm here. Now go to your kitchen, step, step. Okay. Um, still not, Don't, not that far. Right. Don't trip yeah. over your roommate or any children. Yeah. Um, they, they do, they do, they do ask you questions during it. Like, like, oh, is the room secure? You, you know, close the door, lock the door, yada, yada, yada. Cause they, they make some assumptions of people coming around, but, but what they've done is they've, they've built out. All the all the audio, all the media, because there's video as well, is delivered over the web. So you sign up, it's free. You sign up, they send you a link. You jump through that link. You 
you get to first a video and then it's basically like a series of web pages will load sequentially as you get through things and they will ask you questions they will direct you through and the types of media alternate between these videos that are ostensibly being sent from the future you're a member of the human resistance against the 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 Klaxaltarians who have like taken over earth uh, and then, and your job is to intercept the Klaxaltarians signals. So the resistance is like, Hey, we've sent you back in time. Sorry. The time travel stuff doesn't work. I can see you, but I can't hear you. So like, we'll, we'll try and make this work. Here's what you got to do. You know, you're not going to remember stuff, but you know, and, and it, it, they build the vision of a world of, um, that basically, oh, you're still in the good part of 2020, <laughs> which I got to admit was not what I wanted to hear on Sunday night <laughs> as Portland was like having tear gas happen left and right. Um, but then they switch into the the interceptions of the signals from the Klaxaltarians, and it's this really wondrous, meditative, you know, focus on the body like it's an alien trying to understand a human body from the inside out and it's really beautiful and meditative and maybe a little too long sometimes and there's a tension in the piece between those elements that is totally intentional and totally works as an artistic conceit but i definitely about two-thirds of the way through found myself really concerned with what was going on with Portland. So I just thumbed over on my phone because I'm doing this thing on my phone and looked at Twitter for a while to see whether or not the feds had come out and started gassing people yet. And they had. And then once I had settled my ratcheted that anxiety back up or settled it or whatever, uh, flipped back over and, and finished the piece, uh, which was about an hour long in total. I think it could have been I think it would have been tighter and then I probably wouldn't have had that impulse to go away, but just, just hitting within the first few minutes, that narrative conceit of, yeah, you think it's bad now, um, was just such a bummer that it really made me go, do I want to do this? Do I, do I feel like doing this right now? Um, I don't know if anyone else has had that like experience over the course of this when it comes to like going to a show or doing a thing i'm actively avoiding i've been screening and i'm like hmm what's the subject matter about no hey who on the team wants to go to this instead of me <laughs> i i definitely kind of been having that um same screening impulse although i'll you know it was kind of approaching it from a different angle but i almost feel like how am I forgetting? Uh, let's go bowling. Kind of approach that from a slightly different angle. Not like terribly different, but um, it did have some of this, you know, it is the far future and people still aren't touching each other and we're doing this sort of dystopic Zoom bowling substitute as a not quite replacement for what we've lost from the before times. And again, I really, when you had mentioned the feeling of like, it went on slightly too long. Um, 
I almost wonder if that ends up being a function, that feeling rather than anything going on too long per se, of things trying to like very directly address feelings around COVID sometimes. Because I feel like when my mind began to wander at all during Let's Go Bowling, it would immediately go to COVID worries. And that would make any, despite the fact that I was generally enjoying myself, that would make any sort yeah. of downtime feel excruciating because I would just yeah. be returning my focus to to really pressing material concerns. No, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like if, if the conceit wasn't there, that if it somehow wasn't tied into the moment, um, it, it would have been easier to like, stay with it but yeah like i just you know i found myself thinking about how bad things actually were because like there was fresh horror unfolding and i was like well, well why why don't i just i'm concerned about that why don't i just check in on that which is is something that like you know with with other media i might be consuming right now i'm i'm finding myself if i'm if i'm doing if i'm interacting with media that is particularly downbeat or or concerned with like the darkness of the human soul, I will then find myself kind of coast dual screening with whatever horrors unfolding on Twitter. With the exception of Perry Mason, because uh, <laughs> I'm just enraptured by that right now, which I never would have expected that my favorite show in 2020 would be a freaking revival of Ter Perry Mason. Um, <laughs> But it's set in it's set in 1930s LA, and one of the characters is a stand-in for uh, Amy Semper McPherson, who's one of my favorite historical personages in Los Angeles, and it's being played by you know Orphan Black herself. And I'm just like, holy goodness, uh, how can I not watch this? Um, that's really good. Um, and 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 they're starting to dive. I mentioned this in the in the review I do. I mentioned it during class because I watched it that night. I mean, they're starting to dive right in. Like, there's a character. There's a there's a, a a black man who is a police officer in the show. Um, he he's destined to become like you know Perry's lead private eye because that's the character in the the old CBS series. But uh, you know he's about to his arc is clearly about to dive into systemic racism in the thirties. So things are ugly. Uh, I mean, things are ugly now too, but like they, they, they weren't shy about it then. They weren't pretending well, like, I guess they aren't shy or pretending now either. You know what I'm trying to say? It was earlier. It was, it was, there were, there were fewer, uh, fewer it people. It was that old fashioned flavor of racism. Exactly. It was old. It was old fashioned flavored racism back when it only came in vanilla and strawberry um, and uh, or burnt caramel uh, unintentionally burnt. Um, but like they, I don't find myself checking out of that. I find myself being engrossed in that. Um, and part of that's like the level of the drama and like the sumptuousness of, of the cinematography, like all of that is working to keep me engaged. Whereas you know, if it, it, it's designed to keep me entertained, not requiring me to have agency or be taking actions. Yeah. 
and it's a period piece. It's removed from the concerns of today's drama. Yeah, yeah. And if anything helps me understand today's drama more, you know, like there's resonance there, but it's not, it's definitely not projecting forward. You know, I don't think I want, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I don't want to do any dystopian sci-fi right now. Like if I'm doing sci-fi, I'm doing like utopian sci-fi at the moment or, you know, if not full utopian, then at least not full on dystopian. Although I am about to maybe re-embark on Battlestar Galactica, uh, which, you know, isn't exactly. Say that that's actually, I, I think one of the things that the quiet does so brilliantly is that at one point so your character is on this quest and at one point I was so engrossed in this particular puzzle and 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 navigating how to I don't want to give too much away but so how, how to navigate this puzzle and I and I, I wound up having this like incredible decision fatigue at one point. There were a couple of things that happened that are all part of the game design. And I thought, oh no, I'm, I need to make this choice to investigate this thing to see if I'm right about this puzzle. Um, but am I going to now lose all of the information that I just gathered? Was there a sort of a reset? And I, and I, in that moment, I had all of this decision fatigue where like, if this resets, I, I just feel like I don't want to, the idea of kind of starting over on the puzzle and I, and this was all by design. And I really felt like that is such a, a point of where we are. There's so much information, there's misinformation, information keeps changing. We go about thinking, okay, I'm all the changes that we're making, all the adaptations that we're making, and then you're constantly having to recalibrate and constantly having to adapt and be flexible. And I, so I felt, again, like I had the opportunity, it was so cathartic to go through that without it being about specifically the pandemic. And so it was this wonderful, delightful, challenging experience that also wound up being cathartic through the very, uh, particular and intentional design but those things were interwoven very seamlessly and that's why i think there, there's i think there's a lot that leans sort of more towards one direction or the other and really blending the two is incredibly challenging you wish i had enough free time in in the schedule to like put together a let's play of of like a group of us to to run through to run through the quiet because oh. yeah that's I think I think that's the thing is like there's if artists are really metabolizing the moment and finding ways to like break it down and not just using the signifiers of the moment, like the surface level stuff and kind of rearranging to point, it's it's a little bit easier. It's, it's easier pill to swallow because I just find myself hard bouncing off things that want to they want to have a dialogue about it because right. that's I spend I spend all day like I would love I would love something that if something had insight something had real insight into the moment um, the fact that you were just talking about decision fatigue and 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 just what sounds like a real just a a, a real thoughtful deconstruction uh, experientially of what happens to us but but decoupled from, you know, words like plague and pandemic. 
um, that feels like what what we need for like building our emotional muscles as opposed to having just like the lightning flash of hey hey danger we're we're in crisis just kind of like you know right now this timeline sucks uh kind of dangled in front of us right Catherine, um what what's been what's been keeping you busy on the immersive front other than like, uh, you know, running the damn website. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, to continue on the thought that um, we've been on, uh, I've been looking more towards, I guess, I'm more draw drawn towards things that maybe have like a little bit of fantasy or magic realism. Um, and then to combat that urge to pick up uh, and see what fresh horrors await you on your timeline. Um, you know, VR is really good for that. Uh, I've uh, been to the Underpercent's Tempest three times now and had a wildly different time each time depending on who the performer was and who the other people were. Um, one of my showings, the second audience member didn't show up for the first like 10 minutes or so. So I essentially got like a one-on-one -on -one in VR with one of the performers. There was another showing where um, I was the only player who had played the game enough um, to know some of the magic spells and everyone else, when asked, um, shook their heads no. And so it was like me and the performer trying to teach all of the new players how to do some of the magic in the world while keeping the story going. And, you know, um, uh, some of the performers are more classically trained and other ones are more on the improv or clowning side. and. Some are going to, you know, put their own spin on it and other people are going to be much more, you know, stick to the script kind of people. So um, delightful $15 for 40 minutes of interactive theater in VR in gorgeous environments. And I think one thing that I just always really appreciate is that they're not trying to replicate the fidelity of meeting face to face but they do allow you to be present. They do allow you to communicate through gesture and posture and kind of moving your body around. Um, and the people who are performing in Tempest, uh, they, they know how to wrangle crowds. They know how to coax um, stuff out of people. They want to make sure that everyone feels included. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of that kind of crowd work stuff that I, I'm just like, oh my God, it's been so long since um, I've been part of something communal and it's collaborative, but it also feels spontaneous. And yet there's someone facilitating to make sure that no one gets left behind. So even if they don't know how to pick up the 3D sushi on the floor, like we all gathered <laughs> around this one player and was like, okay, okay, no, it's this button. It's this button. Did you get, oh, 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 you got it. And then like, we were all cheering for this person and it just felt really wonderful and magical. And I was not tempted to look at my phone. Well, it also helps that you're functionally blindfolded when you're in, right? When you're in the quest, right? Um, that and um, I just finished, uh, like real people do, which you wrote the review for, I think, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and they are just they're they're using Zoom so cleverly. It like it kind of drives me up a wall that so few people get to have like gotten to see this thus far like i know they keep selling on they keep extending yeah but yeah just hey guess what um not everything needs to be a live webcam shot 
um the their their conceit of like the weirdness and glitchiness of the video works in the world because they have this fiction around memory modulations which is the more you go back over a memory the more it degrades in time so if my internet cuts out or one of the performers internet cuts out it's actually kind of like part of the show which i just find to be really really clever i think there's a the fact that it's a one-on-one you know framed experience mm-hmm. right um that goes a long way like it's not that it's impossible to do multi multi-box zoom stuff and have it be good i think there is that going on i mean eschaton obviously um but there's there's definitely is this something a lot more i don't know it's closer to the real thing when it's that it's the one-on-one dynamic and i think i think there are only so many shows i don't know maybe i'm wrong I think there's 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 a good chunk of shows out there. I think that might be the only one I've gotten a chance to see because we've kind of doled it out to everybody else. Um, that and yeah. Unique's probably gonna kill me, but uh, he was testing out a second version of the telelibrary, and I got to try. Oh, <gasps> nice. Sorry, Unique. <laughs> probably shouldn't have mentioned on the show. Yeah. Uh, this is a good broadcast, everybody. But it's not like you can open up more slots. It's I know. Just one person. Constantly so... sold out. No yeah. matter how many people I tell, they're like, eh, they... just the wait list, I think they said in the paper today was 130 people. Yeah. Which is um, amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, that's the classic, uh, that's the classic one-on-one immersive problem you know it's like right. <laughs> it's amazing immersive one-on-one oh cool when can i see it well you can't so it's just not gonna happen for you um and then it, and then that's there is a wait list he is yeah. working through the wait list so right. we're not just throwing shit until a library no 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 i'm talking <laughs> about like the the normal dynamic and at least like at least some of the stuff going on right now like it's not like you know there's like 20 people like hoarding all the tickets you know, there's like 20 people, you know, 20 people, 60 slots, each of those 20 people buy three tickets and then no one gets to see that show. Like we've, we've had that dynamic in the past and it's no good. Um, yeah. I mean, now it's a more complicated dynamic, which is yeah. people across the world are very interested in your show, but they might be in Asia or Europe and they're just like, I would love to buy a ticket and come to this, but it's at four in the morning for me. Help. Yeah. But you know it's it's it. also like more accessible. It's um you know one of my favorite shows I ever saw was uh Camp Out which was in this dingy venue in like right off of Times Square like above a dive bar next to I think it was the off 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 Broadway theater that was doing like a Golden Girls parody musical. <laughs> and you know, it was this great show, and I think eight total people saw it, because this venue was in the middle of nowhere and really not that hospitable to the production. And now you've got these great shows that, you know, someone can just go, okay, I'll get up at four in the morning, I want to go to it. Um, I saw a bunch of Japanese viewers when I went to go see Eschaton. Um, where I think it must have been, like, three in the afternoon or so. Um, 
the fact that things are now open to literally everyone, I've been very tempted by a number of British shows. This weekend I'm seeing a French show, and I'm going to have to do that on, you know, Central European time. Now the ticket sale problem, everything is totally scalable again. It's just manpower that's becoming the how-do-we-scale-it element. Like, and, and something like the tele-library, it is as much a performance, like, as it is a production. And to get another another performer who could do that show, like, it would be, fundam- it would be a, even in the same structure, it would be a fundamentally different show with someone else doing it. Um, not that that would be the worst thing in the world, Um and that's sort of like, you know, I know that I think we, Laura, was it you who did, who took the, the review on the online version of Red Flags? Like you, so I, you who did it. Did I, no, I didn't do, I did the online version, but. We didn't wind up reviewing it. Okay. No, yeah, yeah, we yeah. didn't review it, but I did do yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. And like, I, I, I heard mixed things. I heard, I had heard that like the show didn't work so great online um, which can make a degree of sense because it's it's such a great show in person. Like making that leap can be really difficult. But also one of the ways that they solved you know their kind of bandwidth problem was you know they it was a show that for the first two years of existence required like you know a singular performer, and then they trained up some other folks. Like they developed other versions of the character. Um, and I know there's I think there's at least one person out there who has seen all three instances of the show and that kind of thing uh you know that's that's one way to scale up the bandwidth on this stuff is is kind of bringing it forward and there's a way of looking at what they're doing with tempest as almost the same formula right like there is this role it is the the stranded actor um and it's being inhabited by a whole bunch of different people and so you get the show but each one's going to be subtly different because of who is leading the show um and it actually kind of surprised me that people were already like snapping up multiple tickets right from the jump. Um, but shouldn't a be. lot of the diehards have their favorite actor, yeah. and they're like, "Okay, uh, I've gotten this person, this person, this person, but I still haven't gotten this person, and I want to see their take." And so they're just, and you can't, you can't force, you can't catch them all, but they yeah. want to catch them all. It's and it's a uh, essentially they're doing blind box toys. Right. You know, it's like, I've got oh, all, yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, there's eight different Batmans and I've got seven of them, but now I've bought 30 Batmans cause I can't get the rare, right. You know, must catch rare Prosperos. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And like, um, even, and even if you do get the same actor twice, which is pretty likely dependent upon like what time of, of day or time like day of the week you go, there's no guarantee that the crowd will be the same, right? So you're going to have different people in the audience kind of spawning different things happening in the play itself, even though it's like the same Prospero you've had before. Yeah. No, and the, the high level of audience, it's weird because it's kind of audience. It is just the variability that the audience brings to it. Um, is is a big part of part of the deal um we had another we had a we had a couple of interesting uh 
pieces, experiments that use uh, either Twitch or Twitch-like interfaces uh, went up in the public this week. Of course, last week on the show, we talked about uh, Little Cinema Digital, and they were doing their first public-facing event, which was for The Alienist. Uh, I got a chance to check out the uh, opening night party version of it, where they like shipped people, you know, booze and a swag box, like an incredibly, Jay was telling me like, I can't wait till you see this box for the alienist. And indeed it was super impressive box. Like uh, just the lining of it, just like absolutely just gangbusters. Fantastic. Um, to create like a mood with, with objects. Um, and then they ran the murder mystery. Uh, there was, it felt like there was like, you know, a decent number of people running around the different rooms that they had set up. Um, and then on Sunday they did it again as a fan event. Um, Catherine, you, you were able to check out the fan event, right? Was anyone else able to? Just me. <laughs> Just you. Okay. Um, how did, how did it, how did the public version of it go? It was chaos because I think everyone who was there was like there to play and they were there to play hard. Mm. And I was, I just felt like, all right, um, maybe there's, so if you didn't get a chance to check it out, the interface is such that it looks like Twitch. You're in your browser. You're not downloading a separate app. You've got a carousel on the bottom of thumbnails and clicking on the different thumbnails will take you to the saloon or the opera house or backstage or wherever. So it feels like you've got seven, eight, nine different virtual rooms. Uh, each one of them has a live video feed. There might be one character in there. There might be two characters in there. And then there's the chat on the right hand side. And I think what happens is because this was so heavily advertised and it was free and people were just excited to participate um and they all really wanted to solve the murder mystery you would just look at the chat and it would just be questions flying about arsenic and when did you see them last and is it true this is it true that because people had also been going through the pdf that they sent beforehand um, looking for various clues um i saw a couple of folks were were just going gangbusters on trying to interrogate all of the performers as to what they knew about who actually killed Alejandro. And I was just kind of sitting back and watching this madness unfold. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> I wanted to hear your take on it because, you know, I was in rooms when I would do it, there was like maybe like five or six people. Like oh. in the room at the time, or at least, or at least, at least talking. There might have been more people watching because, of course, it was there were, there you know there were actors. I mean, it's this weird thing in the premiere version of it. And you heard me talk about this like last week. You know, you go in and like you're seeing like casting, like you know, you're seeing below the line crew member names and 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 like maybe the directors and whatnot. You're like, oh, oh cool, like there are people here. And then suddenly Dakota Fanning, and you're like, oh, what the hell, Dakota Fanning? Like, you know, like she's like, oh, hi guys, we play. You know, it's like, what's going on? This is weird. And then when you're like actually in the, some of those folks are gonna fade off. You know, it's like like, eh, I don't really want to like run around and do it. Um, other folks are gonna be like super active uh, when the after party goes, but like they're there for the premiere. 
right? Like they're there for that that part of that socializing. And they may have done a lot of the chatting already during the show. This being fully focused on the show was such a, uh, the, the, the after party event was such a fundamentally different beast that I was curious if the if the chat window could keep up with just like the sheer volume. And it sounds like it might've been, might've been a bit much. Even in kind of like a lighter experience that felt like a bit much. I know we did the, um, the snow piercer premiere a few weeks ago. Yeah. That had kind of a, not exactly the same structure, but a similar sort of multi. Oh, it was the proto structure. It's because the same team. So it was oh. like, yeah, that, that was the prototype. So, but, the big, I, the big difference being there were in this one there were more rooms and instead of the rooms being uh vertical the rooms were, were horizontal across the bottom so i actually like didn't realize there were more than three rooms until 10 minutes in because the, the way my browser looked and i was like oh crap i've missed things um but but your your experience is snowpiercer yeah no i i just remember um i when i did snowpiercer Normally, and, you know, Catherine, who I've done escape rooms with, knows that I'm very much a I-go-to-play kind of person. Um, <laughs> I can be a little bit intense. Um, Blake did not come here to make friends. <laughs> I might be a little bit terrifying. Uh, Catherine can tell you stories about privilege of escape. But, but we always, we almost always win, so. We do almost right. always win. Um, <laughs> but... I almost feel like that feeling of being overwhelmed has almost gotten me to stop and smell the roses a little bit more in the new, in this brave new world of online immersive. I I remember I kind of burst in there like, okay, I know that there's going to be Ava Lee Scott doing fortune telling in this one room, but it's going to be plot tied fortune telling, and I'm going to go and get in line and try to figure that out. And then it was just such chaos that about like 15 minutes in, I was like, you know what? I'm going to pour myself an amaretto sour and hang out in the lounge car for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> and I had an amazing time. Yeah. Yeah. No, when, when that one was the lounge car, that was the, that was where, oh my God, I keep forgetting your name. That's where the, the singer was, right? Yes. Um, and it's going to come to me in Lena like- Hall. Lena Hall. Yes. Yeah. yes. No, you weren't even there and you remember it. Jeez. Oh, she was I've, I've seen her on actual Broadway, so that's why. Okay. That, that'll, <laughs> that'll do the trick. Yeah. No, she was amazing. Like, yeah, it was just like, oh, oh let's hang out in here. Well, that, for this one with the alienist, like, I I couldn't find a way into the mystery. Like, I, I, I was like, oh, am I going to play? But, like, I wasn't really sure. And, like, I, I was, you know, I, I did ask some questions at one point, but I was being ignored. And I was like, okay. And then the second act, there was this escape room. Well, no, it wasn't an escape room. This It was actually pretty clever in that there was an escape artist. And, but he had been trapped in his own, uh, you know, escape contraption. And things had been, the, the, the locks had been changed or whatnot. And the idea, the conceit was that we had to help him uh, solve the the puzzles that he was trapped in. Um, the and, old saw. Yeah. And it, it was really fun. Uh, I mean, he was vamping the entire time to like fill the full time that he had. Like, he, like 
clearly we could have like blown through some of these, but they had like put things like on the walls. And so we had to like deduce a few clues. And at one point it was even, and not, they didn't probably, it was like the last clue had actually been written on his, on the top of his head. He has his, he has a shaved head. And so it was like kind of really hilarious. Like he's looking down. It's like, let me look down and see if there's something in here, you know? Oh no. <laughs> you see the number. And it's just this like great, hilarious reveal. Uh, but there was like, it was a water torture uh, trap. So it was kind of tense. Like, it's like we're watching this guy and this thing that's filling with water. It's like, geez. Oh. Um, uh, so uh, just, I just stayed in there for like the whole, almost the whole of the second act and like clicked away once it was solved. I was like, okay, I, I probably ought to go like do a thing. But I liked the fact that there was a bit of a balance there. It was like, oh, do you want to just like surf this story and see where things go? Or do you want to try and interact with the characters? And everything had a, everything had much mood. Um, which I thought was like a real accomplishment. Like it, it felt a little bit more like windows into actual other places and not just, I'm watching someone in their living room. Like, uh, and, and that means it's, it's a lot, it, it definitely did not feel like TV, which is setting up something a little bit. Blake, I wonder if you could talk about the other, uh, Twitch like in this case, actual Twitch experience, you did definitely not, definitely not clue. Yes, I did definitely not clue. And I loved every minute of it. It is incredibly silly, but I feel like it's the closest thing to the virtual version of immersive comedy that I've seen. And it's also mm. probably the cleverest theatrical use of Twitch I've seen so far. Um, Break this down for us. What is this thing? So, Definitely Not Clue is a parody jukebox musical taking handful of Broadway and pop standards and throwing them in a story about a virtual reunion of a high school cast of a knockoff musical version of the play Clue based on the board game. But when a mysterious stranger dressed as the Phantom of the Opera sucks them into their computers like a cheesy 80s movie, it turns into one of these, if you die in the game, you die for real things, as they try to figure out who the mastermind is. And this whole thing is interspersed with audience voting challenges from the mastermind on how we can torture the cast. Uh question and answer sessions with the cast, um, and ARG, very light ARG-style puzzles. There would be image drops from one of the characters, the never-on-screen mother of one of the characters, who would send us clues in the form of Imgur links to try to figure out who is innocent and who we can cross off as potential masterminds behind the plot. And the whole thing really managed to capture sort of the Twitch group play tone really well and marry that pretty seamlessly to the streamed musical. And that did wonders in kind of cutting that feels like TV feeling you were talking about. Yeah, before before we kicked off um, our, our, our rundowns today um, and before we started recording, I had broached with the team this sort of 
thought that had come into my head yesterday, which is, you know, we get part of it's about, you know, figuring out, okay, what are we curating, right? We get pitched a lot of material, um, not all of which makes the cut. Um, and as we, we look at people, you know, staging a lot of shows in Zoom or like people staging shows on Twitch, um, there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, just theater, but it's on YouTube, theater, but it's on, you know, Instagram um, Live, Facebook Insta- Live. Exactly. And the the cynical thought that comes to my mind is there's a whole lot of theater directors out there right now who are recreating television, uh, reinventing television, but seriously lacking TV's tools. And there's there's one school of thought that would say, well, the difference is it's live, right? Like what the, the sort of question of like, well, what is theater? Is theater, you know, is it live? Um, and I would say, I would argue that theater requires that there's an engaged audience. There's some kind of feedback loop going on because television tends to be a fairly solitary experience. You might watch it with your siblings or your parents or your partner. So maybe there's two or three people, maybe for like a premiere party for like a new season. I remember like, you know, in college we would get together, everyone together to watch the first episode of a season of the X-Files, right? It was like an event or how we did that when Discovery uh, came on Star Trek, like a bunch of us gathered in a friend's house. Uh, So we could instantly have people to talk about it with and also like created a communal experience out of it. But then, you know, the rest of the time we're just watching those episodes at home by ourselves with a significant other at most. Whereas the theatrical experience, when we're not talking about a one-on-one, is a group experience. And so too, to some degree, is a cinematic experience is a group experience. I know I feel differently about a movie based off what the, the you know, how the rest of the audience is feeling, right? You get those moments, those moments where like if everyone's laughing at something and you're not, you're like, oh, is something wrong with me? And definitely vice versa. If you're laughing at something and no one else is, you're like, okay, there's definitely something wrong with me, but I love it. <laughs> um, and and all of these things are are putting us in relationship to other people who do not have control over the narrative necessarily. Um, and that for me is the dynamic that if people, if directors are playing with then you're starting to enter into our territory. And so, Blake, you had something you you had something pretty apt about um, about the way definitely not Clue handled this. I think a lot of it comes down to tone, honestly, and that you know we're we're all here because we love immersive theater. And immersion kind of relies on a certain i'd say depth and consistency of tone that if you manage to create that tone then it's much easier to get lost in it because you don't have these breaks that keep pulling you out you know to to go back to the example everyone knows you know look at something like sleep no more from the minute you're getting pre-show cocktails next door to the minute you're out not even after you're out the door to the minute you're on the subway home the experience 
really feels curated to keep that sense of consistency. And I, mean, I think that's the beginning, like even even when you buy the ticket, like even pre-show, it's it 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 falls into that category. It it sets the mood, and yeah. I feel like when things go online, there's oftentimes, you know, a difficulty in setting that mood, and especially on something like Twitch, where it's going to be chat based, it becomes even more difficult to try to marry the mood of the less moderated, less controlled audience interaction with the highly controlled streamed show. Yeah, I mean, Twitch already has its own tone, legendarily. So being able to like have a tone of its own is a, is a challenge. I, I think definitely not Clue did a great job, though. I mean, you mentioned Twitch's tone of its own. You know, having everyone type F when a character dies was, you know, that communal experience you're talking about. <laughs> Amazing. Anyone, F's, anyone F's in the know, chat. F's in the chat. If anyone listening doesn't know, uh, that's a that's a reference. It's become a joke, but there's a... Was it was it a Call of Duty or Call some... Call of Duty game. Uh, press Call F of Duty game. Yeah, yeah you, you press F for respect. Like you're at someone's funeral and like that was how you showed respect was pressing F. Um, so... It's... And then people are like, look, it's interactive. You're at a funeral yeah. and you had to push a button. And I'm like, that's interactivity, but it doesn't feel like you're part of the story. You're just hitting a button. The beautiful thing. And then, but then it becomes in, in the real world, you know, like, like the meme. So... But in Blake's uh, case, it felt like they were part of that world because they oh. were at, they were directing the audience like like the chaos energy of a Twitch box, but actually directed towards something, right? A hundred percent. No, we were all it was very much like, hey gang, let's go to a Twitch party gone horribly wrong. Um and that was the plot of the show. That they managed to very much you know, not to Marshall McClue in this, but, you know, the medium is the message here. They managed to marry their show to the inherent messaging that you're never going to escape on Twitch. Yeah. One other thing that just, like, kind of has been coming to mind lately, and this is just kind of looking forward a little bit, um, just by a couple of days, I am about to go to uh, Ladies of Versailles, um... <laughs> I am very excited. And I just got my ingredient list to go shopping tomorrow for how to make an aphrodisiac cocktail. Um, it well, involves... Dive too deep in, into the cocktail. What is Ladies of Versailles? Just so for folks. Oh, like, we, can't, we can't assume that everyone's you know read every listing on the news. <laughs> it, it, it's hard when I live on the website. Yeah. Uh, no, Ladies of Versailles is a new show coming out of France from... Uh, Eat the Cake Studio, in which it's three different potential experiences where you get to talk to one of the women of Versailles, who kind of marries some history and early French court culture and entertainment through Zoom chat. And each of the three ones has some sort of tutorial in it. So I signed up for the sexy side of Versailles with the Duchess of Polignac, um, <laughs> which already sounds amazing. I'm worried that I'm going to be kind of pigeonholed as the guy who writes about sexy food after this and uh, past the sugar. But besides that point, uh, 
we got this massive ingredient list. And I looked at some of the other um, potential prep guides for it. And, you know, for one of them, they've got a cake recipe for you to bake to have with Marie Antoinette. And for another one of them, they, it's uh, the history of fashion at Versailles and gossip at Versailles mixed with a live makeup tutorial. And they instruct, you know, you should have at least an eyebrow pencil, a powder, a moisturizer, and a concealer with you, or whatever specifics they have in mind. And the thing that just kept striking me as I was reading these over is that, you know, I feel like when this these new mod modalities of theater just started, when we were just sort of adapt first adapting to the pandemic, there was almost like a little bit of resentment. And I can even see it in myself, but I definitely saw it in um, not even our publication, but just some some of the general articles I read about theater for like extensive prep that we were used to theater kind of coming, you know, offering us the experience as it is, that it was the responsibility of the theater to create the tone. But at this point in time, I've been to enough shows where I haven't had that tone created. And I've, I've struggled to kind of remain in the moment and find that immersion I'm looking for, that every time I get one of these big instruction sheets, um, or, or even just a few suggestions, like for Eschaton, wear something nice, pour yourself a drink, go something somewhere with low lights. That automatically raises my expectations now, because it, A, shows a level of thought going into that sort of maintenance of tone, and B, you know, is effective. It is going to maintain that tone. I, I have been invited to create the environment they want me to experience this in. And so I'm going to have another level deeper of immersion. Yeah, I think, I think when things kicked off and no one knew how long we'd be at this, I think there was a level of, you know, anything could feel like a, a, a real imposition, right? Like... You know, I can't even get toilet paper. Where am I supposed to get, you know, such and such? Now that we're, you know, in the 90th month of this, um, having having a few injunctions thrown your way uh, feels right. You know, um, here's, in a sense of, you know, maybe a little bit of optional. Like, it's entirely possible to do Eschaton, like, with your camera off if you want, if you want to be fully passive. But sort of, if you want to get the mood here you go i mean this is what they do with these these swag boxes for the uh premiere parties is they'll send you they'll send you the instructions for how to make the cocktail uh the first time they did they literally sent all the cocktail ingredients um like every little less bit they kind of sent that this time too there was there was a um, the the required bitters and and sugar mixture was pre-made, so you just basically just had to like get an ice cube and a glass and pour the for foresters in and old forester and poured the the passion mix in. Boom, you were done. Really kept it really simple. But they also had like nine or ten different cocktail recipes, um, and uh, they did not skimp on the design of those or the design of everything. And you know if if I if I was the actual target audience, if I was someone who'd worked on that show, uh, and this was the party I had for it, I would feel that level of care. I would feel like, oh great, they're you know I want to I want to be on the same level as everybody else. Um, 
it's it's a different way. It's like magic circle by mail, you know. How do we how do we manage to to make that happen? Um, and I'm glad people are I'm glad people are playing around with it. You know? I mean, as I've said before, we don't have we don't have the rituals that tell our brain like we are going to go see a show. We are going to go into an experience now. There's no transit time or changing of outfit or checking your code or getting that pre-show drink. So we need to bring back all of that kind of ritual in a different way to make that magic circle and allow someone to suspend their disbelief because you actually have to work harder now to suspend your disbelief when you dial into one of these shows. And it's incredibly important for um, that magic circle by mail idea or some sort of ritual or a recipe that you should follow. Or um, like I know in like real people do, they were sending these absurdist, dystopic HR videos where the performer's head is never actually in the frame and it's just a voice talking at you about their compensation packages. And you're like, oh, okay, this is this is part of the world building though. Like it helps set that tone, set that mood. It gets you primed for like what's gonna happen next. Another show that I think has done that really well that in a slightly different way. So I know Blake, you wrote the review for Binge. I also did Binge. And I think that I got another show you got. Sorry, I have to know what show you got. Right. So you did your experience was with Brian Lobel, the creator of the show, right? And it was Sex in the City was your show. Mm-hmm. So my, I had uh, Susan Butler, who she's a writer, performance artist, and teacher. She's based in Berlin, and her show was The Simpsons. <laughs> And so the what it's do because Catherine, per your like really fantastic Twitter breakdown of all of these things before all the sort of best practices specifically for right now for immersive experiences, I, I actually thought binge did such a great job and I, I really wasn't sure how they were going to go about this. And I think and, and Brian Lobel's introductory video, which is after you buy a ticket, is the first thing that you're supposed to do. You watch this video. And he starts the video by just saying uh, several times, he repeats, what are you watching? And he explains that right now, again, given our current state, that if you ask someone, how are you? That's not a throwaway question anymore. And if you're going to genuinely ask that question, you should be prepared to receive whatever is going to come at you with the response. And so for a lot of people right now, because we're all so overloaded, a a much easier conversation, which is one we have normally anyway, but a much easier conversation is what are you watching? And but it can still be a, a great way to talk about and talk around what we're what we're going through. And so I watched the video. And then, as Blake described in the review, there's a a 50 question prep phase before your experience. And I was like, all right, I'm going to set aside. And I think they say in in the um, online instructions that you certainly don't have to answer every question. You can spend as much time on it as you want. You could still do the experience without answering any of the questions, but you're going to get out what you put into it. So I thought, okay, I'll set aside some time for this. And I spent so much more time on it than they had initially outlined. I was like, this is bananas. It's, I, and I really answered, and Blake, you had touched on this too. 
I debated, there are some questions that are deeply personal and I debated, do I really want to answer this honestly? And I went for it and I, I did answer completely honestly. And, uh, and I wound up being matched with season, which was, she was absolutely fantastic. And I haven't watched a lot of the Simpsons. And so I didn't have any preconceived ideas around the specific episodes that she referenced and, and recommended for me to watch. And so you have this very therapeutic dialogue that was incredibly engaging. You have this wonderful one-on-one -on -one experience. And one of the things that I thought was so wonderful for me within just one of my questions, I referenced that I've really been thinking about living abroad. It's something I've always wanted to do. And that one of the cities on my list is Berlin. And so they, there was clearly so, and this was just a kind of a, a throwaway in one of my responses. And so they clearly had gone through this and they matched me with her. I don't think just for that reason, but it was a, a wonderful moment. I actually thought for a second it was part of the show when she said, hi, I'm in, yeah, I'm in Berlin. And I was like, are you really in Berlin? Or are you just telling me that? And so we went through this fantastic dialogue and it was so simple, but it was so beautifully executed. And then after, and this, the episodes that she recommended, after we were done with the experience, which I think ran about 45 minutes, um, I received like this certificate via email that had my prescribed episodes to watch. And so I do think like it wasn't, there wasn't the same ritual as we're referring to around eschaton of like, you know, pour yourself a drink, wear cocktail attire, be in a low lit environment. But I thought that binge for the show and for as Blake, as you've been talking about cohesion and tone, there was this beautifully consistent tone and execution around these pre experience rituals or exercises and then even this brief but I really enjoyed that post-show follow-up with the certificate it felt like I'd accomplished something it felt like this cultural prescription my my cultural script that I was like oh yeah all right I'm gonna you know watch these episodes and and then you felt like you had to do it what when once it's in writing it's official well, I'd actually, I agree with you. I'd actually watched, I went and, and immediately after our session, I went and watched, I think one or two of the, of the episodes. And so I, I also, it, it does extend the experience then of course too, because then I was thinking about how those related to our conversation and why she picked them based on what I was saying. And so it, it continued that that thought process, and again, that, those cathartic elements, and and just experiencing something new now through the lens of this conversation with this wonderful performer. So there were so many touch points that were far beyond just the experience itself. For sure, I I felt distinctly red after that show, <laughs> not in a bad way, just like. Oh my God, between the questionnaire and the conversation, you know, it's an intense approximately two hours or so that I spent on that show. And I feel like from that two hours, I felt so known, so seen. Right. And the fact that they communicated this to me through sharing something that not only they love, but now I've got a cultural touchstone that I can use to talk about my life. 
you know, if I ever meet another Sex in the City fan, I can go like, no, my my situation is very season three, episode eight, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, that I totally agree. <laughs> Like there's this whole sort of secondary language that gets created out of out of uh, swapping television episodes just in general, and that that there's someone's built work around that um, is sort of fantastic. Like like being being in dialogue with a larger culture is is great. And then this, as you were talking, Laura, and I was in thinking about you know just the different ways of onboarding and offboarding people and how, you know, we tend to talk about magic circle or we tend to talk about ritual, but, you know, that carries a bit of baggage with it that I think people kind of get themselves confused and, and think that, you know, well, it needs, so that means it needs to be like this, or it needs to be a little, little spooky or there needs to be something kind of a little arty about it. We're also talking about formulas, you know, that there's there is something prescriptive. There is a thing that you do on the regular in order to reinforce a feeling. Um, and and that the important thing is, is that there's a thing you that you have the person do. It's not just. It, even though tone that that the performers or the creators set is very important. It's the having the participant do a thing in order to align themselves with that tone. That's the important thing. Um, That's what wants it mattering. Uh, Before we skedaddle, is there anything else? uh, First, I'll ask two questions. One, is there anything else that like stands out to folks in terms of what they've uh, connected with over the past, uh, you know, couple of months at this rate i think it's been like almost two months since we did a team speak and i know some of you haven't been on on this iteration of the show um but yeah any anything else that's because anything that's in play right now which people should probably like keep an eye out for it's a great great time for recommendations not necessarily like whatever you do don't watch such and such Uh-oh. <laughs> what are you Got looking it. forward to, Laura? Blake? Yeah, yeah. Oh, or is there anything... Oh, Blake, go for it. I loved... Um, how could I forget to say this? I know everyone and their grandmother has said they loved it, but Ministry of Mundane Mysteries is an absolute delight. That absolutely made the entire week that I did it. Um, Wait, what, what was your mystery? Oh, so when I was maybe like six or seven... My mom made this delicious, like, praline crunch cake. And my mom is meticulous about saving her recipes. I remember this one vividly. We had to drink, like, half a gallon of milk between the whole family because it was so sweet. And since she made it, we've never found the recipe again. Never. And So you, so you had the ministry. This, this was the case that the ministry yeah. needed to solve for you. Of the praline pound cake. And so it it started with them, you know, giving me this interview, asking me both a little bit about my case and then just a bunch of like fun, random stuff. If I had ever lived abroad, if, you know, what my favorite song is. And it almost felt like, you know, your classic improv show. I'm going to need a few suggestions from the audience. You know, give me a noun, give me an occupation. 
and if you're lucky, you don't have that one person in the audience who just keeps on saying the same thing over and over again for every <laughs> single question they ask. This was a hundred percent. It it felt like that for an audience of just you, and the fact that both for me and for everyone else I've talked to, it feels like they so managed to, while still maintaining a sort of cohesive comedic tone, understand from these you know prompts exactly what people are looking for. Uh, for my story, it turned into exactly my cup of tea, a conspiracy thriller about agents of Condé Nast stealing back recipes that had been stolen from dentist office waiting rooms. A friend of mine got a a 1920s gangster thriller meets, you know, queer love story. They managed to figure out kind of exactly where your personal obsessions and passions lie and really spin a story out of all of that. And it was really easy to get lost in. And the 15-minute calls for a week felt so substantial for the price of the show. But beyond that, also didn't overstay their welcome. Every day it was that perfect bite. I scheduled them right around my daily coffee break. And it was incredible. I would highly recommend it to anyone looking for that little sort of vacation from reality. Nice right about now. <laughs> not that not that my schedule allows me to schedule things at the moment, so I'll have to wait until things are calm. Um, yeah, Laura. They emailed any... us recently oh. too. Um, big shout out to Outside the March, who does the Ministry of Mundane Mysteries. Uh, they are doing 175 shows uh, for healthcare workers in Toronto through the end of the year which was funded through the JOY program at St. Joseph's in Toronto. And they, in June, had ASL versions of the show, and they're going to bring that back in August as well. And trying to translate it into Spanish, which is super cool. That's awesome. One other thing I saw they're doing, just if any of our listeners have kids that looked adorable, they're doing um, Ministry of Mundane Mysteries Playdate, which is a scheduled... You know, it's the Ministry of Mundane Mysteries, but tailored for two children who are friends who don't get to see each other as, like, a way for them to interact, a little kind of group theater piece. It looks really cute. Um, A little mystery they can solve together with, you know, not quite, quote, what we would call homework, but not the kind of homework that's going to bore your kids, you know little activities for them to do to kind of get a little deeper into the mystery between calls and sessions. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Um, Laura, anything that you've either seen or something you're looking forward to uh, in the mix right now? Yeah, I've got a couple of things. I, I mean, I am looking forward to, I did Candlehouse Collective's Claws, which Kevin Gossett had reviewed. Um, and I'm looking forward to On the Serenity of Oranges, which is coming up next month, which is their first video experience. So I'm, I'll be very curious to see because I do think um, thus far I've only done two Candlehouse Collective shows, which was Next Time and Claws, both just over the phone. And I do think they do a great job with 
um, just the power of a simple phone call. And so I'll be curious to see how the work translates into a video experience. Uh, and then I would recommend bowling night. So which Blake was referring to um, at the top of the show, um, bowling night is created and performed by Brett Jackson, and it's a live action online game via video chat. And it is uh, the way it's described. It's it's set in it's set in the dystopian future year of 2020 uh, on an isolationist Earth, and there so describes that humans um, are germaphobic and they're not able to meet. And they but they play this this future sport called bowling, and uh, this is for the entertainment of a maniacal computer, which is portrayed by Brett Jackson, and. It is, and so it was, the team was Kevin and Blake, me, Patrick McLean, and uh, Kara Mandel. And um, we, we had a fantastic time overall. The, there are some, there's some air in the show, and um, Brett is aware of that. And the show, as far as I know, he is right now continuously iterating. We did a preview version. And so he had requested feedback from all of the participants from the night that we did, which was, I think, close to 50 people uh, in total. And so he's, it's definitely still in development. There, there's still some, some iteration, but there, his talent as a game master and his ability to improvise and again, to set the tone uh, was fantastic. I, there were, this is a very, if you are just, again, looking to have an experience that does not, that is not taxing, I think it does a great job of recreating that camaraderie, that very specific energy of amateur bowling and all the rowdiness that goes with it. And, uh, and, and his ability to, again, back to like, kind of, Catherine, what you were saying about wrangling people and and managing energy and he did such a fantastic job of of that straddling that line between it getting completely out of control but he kept it really unbridled and and where we could all kind of regress into these really immature states and just enjoy ourselves thoroughly so there are still some kinks i think that he's working out where the show needs to tighten up but it's just uh, if you're just looking for a really enjoyable evening with some friends and you do not have to think hard. And I mean, it's there's things about the quiet that are very demanding. And I loved how demanding they were. But that's not what you want every night or every day. So this is something where you really can just completely relax and enjoy yourself. And I think that Brett Jackson does a great job of, of fostering that very specific tone and energy. look forward to it. Catherine, anything on your radar? Um, so kind of, yeah, kind of along the lines of some of the stuff that I've been talking about. Um, for Room Escape Artists, a bunch of folks and I got together and we played Agent Venture, The Heist, which takes place over Zoom, but it's, um, we the players all had our cameras on, but the person you're interacting with uh, doesn't have a camera. And if you've ever watched some sort of spy thriller or bank robbery movie, and you see the team that's in the van that's like trying to be like um, 
helping run interference and helping the secret agent do the thing because they are unlocking the doors for them or opening closing vents. This is basically that. And there, I think it's one person plays multiple characters. So uh, I got cast as the communicator, AKA essentially the person who's supposed to the social engineer um, through different series of phone calls to distract people or get information while the secret agent is doing their thing. Uh, and I didn't know what was going to happen. Turns out that the person on the other end of the line is really good at improv. So I had a moment near the beginning, so a tiny bit of a spoiler, where we had to distract an administrator, um, someone who was expecting a package, and we were going to pretend to be the delivery person, and it was a coffee machine, and I pretended to be from the... Uh, coffee manufacturer, uh, coffee machine manufacturer. So I asked the secretary that we were supposed to distract to take a survey about how well we were serving them, the price point of the coffee, how many cups of coffee we could make at once, the noise of the machine. The in the in the background, I've got one person who's like fake hacking into the back end and then another person who's like the coordinator and another person who's like looking for evidence in a PDF and it was just really really fun escape game elements uh video game elements role-playing elements and uh there was a bunch of stuff that we found or saw in our inventory that we never actually used so um i think one of our players went back and like tried it again and actually took a different pathway um just to see what was going to happen and made lots of different decisions so it's a very clever game um, recommended four or five people um, i believe it's a company out of the UK, it's called Agent Venture. So episode one, which is the one I played, is called The Heist. And I believe they have a brand new episode of two as well. So kind of continuing along this like, oh, the people are distributed and remote and we're all talking to the secret agent over Zoom, which kind of makes sense in like this fictional spy world. So that was a blast. And then the other thing that I'm looking forward to is the Electric Dreams Festival, which uh, starts on July 24th, runs through August 16th. And it's just, um, you know, some of the pieces we have actually reviewed separately outside of the festival. So you've got Jury Duty from Exit Productions. There's Long Distance Affair from Pop-Up Theatrics. Um, just a, a mix of different people doing um, parties over Zoom or t uh, doing interactive films on the web or trying to tell stories through Instagram. So uh, lots and lots of listings there. Really interesting stuff to check out. And a lot of it is... Uh, pay what you can, uh, so it it tends to be pretty affordable. So that's the Electric Dreams Festival, uh, brought to us by Crossover Labs. That's that's being that's based out of England, right? Uh, I you know some the some of the companies are in England, but I believe that Crossover Labs is from somewhere else. But I could be wrong. It's just a really interesting mix of artists from all over. People can always look over on uh, the NoPro site or on uh, Everything Immersive to see exactly uh, all the details. Uh, a lot of the individual listings are there as well as a listing for the uh, festival in itself. Oh, I think uh, actually I'm looking here. It's like um, uh, Copenhagen is involved, uh, Electric Dreams London. So it's actually uh, a, number of, a number of British and European companies coming together uh, to pull this one together. Uh, something that I would look forward to, but I am not properly equipped for. So Laura is actually taking the review. Uh, Darkfield, 
who did uh, the uh, the invisible which i got to experience in person uh you know not long before lockdown started uh they're doing their first darkfield radio piece called double uh which is built f- uh, ideally for two people uh sitting across from each other um but it's a fully audio experience and uh the level that these folks work at when it comes to binaural sound is absolutely amazing and that's also part of the electric dreams festival if memory serves and it's going to have its own individual run and what's interesting is that even though it's an audio experience um it's not it's it maybe is a pod play to some degree but instead of just downloading it there is an app and there are specific times. So there are specific times they are running the show. So I'm really fascinated what that's all about. And uh, Laura caught the red ball on that one. And she's, uh, I believe you're doing that. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, the July 23rd. This will be airing on July 24th. So you're, you're from the point of view of the listener, you're doing that tonight. <laughs> yep. Dependent upon when you listen to this episode. Exactly. It may have already happened. So that's that's one. That one's going for a little bit afterwards. So I think um, we'll have a verdict on it soon. And uh, but if you're just taking recommendations based on what looks cool, that one looks cool to me. So, all right, everybody, I got a massive day ahead of me. Uh, so I gotta jump out of this. But I'm so thankful that all of you uh, took the time out to talk a little bit about what's going on in our world. And uh, we'll get the team back together again soon. I hope. This was a delight. Thanks for having us. Once again, I want to thank Blake, Catherine, and Laura for being on the show with me today. Uh, Really, uh, (laughs) it's, it's really fantastic to have such a wonderful group of people to work with. Um, on this crazy project, uh, all of whom do it out of out of the the goodness of their hearts, uh, to satisfy their own curiosity, and for a love of this form that's uh, as deep as any one of us's love of the form. Okay, so uh, promised that I'd talk a little bit on the backside. Uh, like I said, <laughs> where I'm about to go, kind of. Uh, yeah, so um, I think I may have mentioned on the show before, um, and, and I don't want to get too into it, but uh, my mom's really old. Um, she's 73. Uh, she's got a lot of medical problems. Um, like, always has had some medical problems, like, pretty much my entire life. Um, but uh, this year, uh, along with all the other nonsense that's going on, uh, she got diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've been dealing with the surgical side of that. Uh, as I'm recording this, she's actually she's actually in surgery while I'm recording this. Um, this was a return to surgery. She was in surgery two weeks ago. She's in surgery right now. Uh, the the news, obviously, from one surgery to the other, was not great. Um, not unmanageable. Not unmanageable, but but not the news we wanted to hear. It's uh, it's not something I've been meaning to share with folks, but I've been increasingly distant, uh, increasingly distant here, distant on the website, distant in our social media channels, um, and it's not 
just because, you know, working behind the scenes on stuff, which is also, you know, usually why I'm like not around is like, we're organizing this or we're organizing that or this or the other thing. Well, right now I'm organizing hospital trips. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, uh, if I could hit a big pause button and just go deal with this and uh, get my own head back together, I probably would. But, you know, the world doesn't really have that plan for us. And there are things that need to happen. And there's organizing that needs to occur. And there's, uh, you know, budgets that need to be set. So it just means I'm spread out um, mentally a lot more than I usually am. And there's things I'm forgetting to do, like I gotta go put the registration on the car, which is sitting right in front of me, um, which Baby Yoda is holding on to with his ears, and uh, and has been staring at me for days now. And I really should put this on today before I get pulled over. So that's where my brain's at right now. I'm kind of stream of consciousness, um, going from disaster to disaster. Um, you know, just having things dropped in my lap and knocking them out, taking care of them. Uh, not letting myself fully shut down when all I want to do is just watch uh, Ranma. Um, Ranma one half. If you don't know it, it's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, just uh, when all else fails, I just regress into an anime fanboy. So, um, yeah, I just wanted you to know, uh, particularly because like I may take next week off. Uh, just because there'll be some of these appointments drop in and we don't know when they're going to be and yada, 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 because we're on, you know, it's the, the, the it's nerve wracking to have to go into a hospital <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. It just is. Uh, and uh, it's nerve wracking for all the employees there, too. They don't want to be there. Um, so it's just it's it's really, really complicated. So uh, I'm overwhelmed. Um, which technically also, uh, much like everyone was um, annoyed that like irregardless is now a word. Well, I got some news for you about overwhelmed. Whelmed means capsized. Uh, and overwhelmed also means capsized. So, <laughs> sorry, English is the dumbest language, which is why it's the best. Um I am not putting this out there so that I get a whole bunch of messages. Please, nothing would actually annoy me more. Uh, my way of dealing with this is to deal with it, uh, to take care of the things that need to be taken care of, and to try and carve out um, not the mental space for self-care. I'm really good at self-care. I just want, I want to point that out to everybody. I am very, very good at self-care, okay, except for the whole eating sugar part. I'm bad at that part of it. But the other parts of it, very good at. Um, really, it's about me finding the mental fortitude to carve out time to do the work um, with heart. I can do the work mechanically, and some of the work is mechanical. Uh, making the newsletter, relatively mechanical, and that's good. Uh, but sitting down, writing a review... Uh, you'll note like I didn't have a whole bunch of notes on like what it is I'm looking forward to because I'm not assigning anything to myself because I don't, you know, have it in me right now to give like a clean read on a lot of work. So there, uh, just in case you were curious, um, you know, you are the backers of the show. You are the thing that makes this whole thing possible. So I owe some transparency to you on this, but don't fret about me gonna be just fine uh that's what we do but i was feeling bad not telling you 
All right. On that note, let's do the credits. This show is brought to us by our Patreon backers uh, who, and also they bring to you all the things we do. That's the website, nopersimium.com. That's everythingimmersive.com. That's the Everything Immersive group, which I am more checked out of these days because uh, maybe I'm upset with Facebook. Uh, it is, um, <laughs> yeah, we don't, this doesn't exist without the Patreon backers, uh, the core of which are our sustaining backers. Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. Seriously, y'all. Uh, like, basically, you pay my rent. Um, so, thank you for that. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com. Soon you'll be able to find everything, well, not everything, but you'll be able to find a lot of what we do at everythingimmersive.com as we crawl towards the public, public beta. And connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at No Persinium, the Facebook group, Everything Immersive, and on Instagram at No underscore Persinium. That's how to find us if you haven't, if you haven't already. All right. Until next time. Thank you for wearing the mask. Seriously. <laughs>